May the blessing of the Lord be upon you. It is so good to see you all again. I feel like I've been gone forever. For those of you who have been here during July, uh, you know that, that I and my family have been gone for the entire month of July, which is the first time I've done that in a long time. For those of you who weren't here, it's good to see you back too. So we're glad that you're here. It is so good to be to gathered in God's house, but we've got a lot going on this morning. I'm not going to talk too much about that except to say I just love being back. I am one of those people who loves adventure. I love to go visit family. I love to go visit friends. We, we covered six states and about 3,000 miles while we were gone, uh, but we had a wonderful time. But I'm also that person who, even though I love adventure, I love to come back. I'm essentially a homebody, and I love to be back with my, my church family, my church friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I'm glad that you're here today, and it is so good to be back among you. Well, today is really kind of a new beginning in many different ways. It's a new season. We just this morning welcomed, we installed and ordained a whole new class of elders and deacons. We are getting ready for the beginning of a new school year. Lots of high school graduates and college graduates are beginning to start new phases of their lives, new jobs and things like that. And a new college football season is just about to begin. It's been so long. But it's not just all of those things. We are here in a new season of the church. And we're going to begin this new season really in earnest on the 21st of August with our kickoff Sunday. But we're really beginning this new season now. And so we're going to begin this new season in the life of our church with a new series. The title of this new series is based on one of the opening verses of the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts, as you all know, is, is a book of the Bible about the early followers of Jesus and how the Lord empowered this little group of incredible, bold men and women to launch a 2,000-year worldwide movement that would change the world by telling the story and by showing the compassion of Jesus Christ. Now, the series that I'll be preaching on or that I'll be preaching will be based on the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. And Acts 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The title of the new series is witness because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. As Raquel spoke to us today, as we will hear from other mission partners in the near future, we are reminded that we have been called to be witnesses to the love of Jesus Christ and to take that witness from San Antonio all over the world to the neighborhood and to the nations. But you will be my witnesses. That's what Jesus said. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what does it mean to be a witness. And we're going to unpack what it means to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. But this morning, we have just ordained and installed a new group of church leaders, new elders and deacons. They stood before the church to be called and set aside as witnesses of Jesus Christ. And so thinking of that, not only about their mission, but ours, we're going to go back a couple of books to the book of Matthew, to the end of the book of Matthew, to talk about the warrant 
for our witness. The warrant for our witness is at the very end of the book of Matthew, and it's called the Great Commission. Just before the Lord returned to his Father and ascended into heaven, he gave one last directive or set of directives to his disciples. And that's our scripture lesson for today. So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 8, 19 and 20. You can see it on the screens, it's in your bulletin, or you can follow along on your, in your pew Bible. Jesus said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, we know that this is your word. It is completely true and it is given in love. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in your name, the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. The Great Commission is about two things. This passage that we just read is first about the mission of God's people. And Jesus says that the mission of his people is to make disciples. Their job, our job, is to bring people into the family of God by baptizing them into the family and then teaching them to live, to love, to serve as the Father has created us to live and to love and to be and to serve. The way we interpret that, the way that plays out here at First Presbyterian Church is that we say that we are a church whose mission is to love Jesus Christ, to love one another, and to love the city. We start with the neighborhood and we work our way to the nations. Now, this first part of the Great Commission is about what we as followers of Jesus Christ are supposed to do. What we're supposed to do. It's about our mission, our goal, our job. But there is a second part to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not just about the mission of God's people. The Great Commission is also about the identity of God's people. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Now, I want us to understand something here. This is not just a statement about God's location or about his proximity. This is a statement about our identity. Now, we know that if God is really God, then he is everywhere, occupying every inch of space and every moment of time with his presence. So, of course, God is with us. God is everywhere. So, yes, God is with us. But this is not a theological statement that God is everywhere or simply that God is in the area. It's a declaration that God is in it with us. God is in it with us. He's in the mess with us. He's in the foxhole with us. He's on the line of scrimmage with us. He is in the problem. He's in the situation with us. 
that he's always active in our lives and that we are always in his heart and we always occupy his attention. God is not just with us, he is with us. You know, remember back in middle school when there was a cute girl or a cute guy in your class and you wanted to tell your friends, like, I want, I want you to tell this person that I like them. And they say, well, what do you mean you like them? You mean you like them or do you mean you like like them? You know what I'm saying? When you like like somebody, that means it's more than I just like them. Well, in this passage, Jesus is telling us that God is not just with us. He is with with us. He is in it with us. Why? Because we are his children. Because just as he said to Jesus, he says to you, you are my beloved child and with you I am well pleased. Just as he said to Joshua, he says to us, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not, never leave you nor forsake you. Why is God with us? Because we are his, because of who we are, because we are his children. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so the Great Commission is not just about mission, what we're supposed to do. It's also about who we are, our identity. We're not just human doings. We are human beings. So it's important that we remember who we are. Our do, our mission, is to remember that. It's to remember who we are and to remind other people who they are. To remind them, to remind others that they too are beloved of our God. Now I want to step back and I want to look at some, some other things going on here in this passage of the, on the Great Commission. And I want us to look at one of the most important words in the Great Commission. Now this is going to surprise you because this word that I'm about to reveal to you is not actually printed in the translation that we are reading. It is not printed because it is grammatically implied. And it is the word you, you go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's actually the second person plural. And what it actually says is y'all. Don't you love that? Y'all go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, it's the same word that comes up three times in that verse I read just a little while ago, Acts 1.8. When Jesus says, but y'all will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon y'all and y'all will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus is communicating this not just to the people who were hearing him then. He was communicating it to us, to y'all. This is the mission for his church. This is a mission he's giving to all of us. And he's telling us to be his witnesses, to be his disciple makers. 
Now, this is a change for the disciples because this supersedes their original commission. What was the original commission of the disciples? The original commission of the disciples was to come and follow me, to come and learn from me. The word disciple, the word mathetes, means learner. It means student. And so when he called his disciples, he called them to be students, to learn from him. But now he is giving them a new commission that adds to that commission. Now he's saying, you are no longer just disciples. You're no longer just learners. You're no longer just students. You are now disciple makers. That's a big change. You are now disciple makers. God the Father has given the mission of Jesus the Son to us. His mission is now our mission. And now it's our turn to be disciple makers. This past uh, Tuesday, I had the opportunity to hear Coach Drew Scott, who was the coach of the Baylor basketball team when they won the national championship back in 2021. And Coach Scott had lots of really interesting things to say. Fascinating man. But one of the things that really caught my attention was something he said about elite teams. He said, studies have been done about elite championship teams. And one of the things he said is that elite teams are not coach-led. They are player-led. Now, of course, elite systems and things like that, Alabama football, Duke basketball, those, those are, you know, that's a different paradigm. But, but elite teams, the ones that actually win the championships, are player-led. And that's because elite teams where the players are leading, are the, that means that the players are taking responsibility for the mission, taking responsibility for the culture, taking responsibility for their discipline. They are the ones who are committed, who are saying, we are going to, to be in charge of this. We're going to do this. They are, they are player-led, not just coach-led. And that's what Jesus is now telling his church. First the disciples, then to our elders and deacons, and now to all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. You're not just disciples anymore. You're also now disciple-makers. And this team needs to be player-led if we want to be the elite team that God has made us to be. Now, here's an interesting contrast. Remember, this, this, this whole commission is riddled with the word implied you. You will do this. Y'all will do this. You know what word does not appear in the Great Commission? It's the word they. The word them does not appear in the Great Commission. This is not about them or they. They aren't going to do it. Them isn't going to do it. You are going to do it. Y'all, us. He's not giving this mission to them, to someone else, but to you and to me. You are a leader because someone led you. You are connected because someone connected you. You are blessed because someone blessed you. You are a disciple because somebody discipled you. And guess what? This city, this world, this neighborhood, the nations, they need you. Now, 
I realize that's overwhelming. There are going to be some people who are panicking, thinking, you know what? I, I agreed to be a deacon. I agreed to be an elder. I agreed to teach Sunday school. I, I agreed to be a youth advisor. I, I, I just joined the church. I agreed to be a covenant partner, not an evangelist, not a witness, not a missionary, not a disciple maker. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. But here's the thing. The Great Commission is not a contract. It's covenant. It's not an agreement between us and God. It's an appointment. He says, yeah, you're going to do this. He doesn't say, well, why don't you do this? He's not recruiting you. He's calling you. He's saying, oh, yeah, this, you're going to do this. Well, I can't do this. Yes, you can. And how do we know that? Because the Lord said, yes, you can do it. Because you're not going to do it alone. Behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. One of the books that I read over my time away was a book on leadership by pastor and author Paul David Tripp. And in this book, he says that one of the biggest crises in the church and in church leadership is that we have developed what he calls presence amnesia. What does that mean? It means that we've forgotten about the presence of God. We've forgotten that everything we do is empowered by God, by his presence. We think we're on our own. We think that we have to do this alone. We have to think, we, we think that we have to earn our right to be his disciples by our own power. Then he bestows the title. No, no, no. He calls us as his children. He adopts us as his children. And then he empowers us to do that which he has commissioned us to do. Paul David Tripp says this, Bad things happen to a ministry leader or to a congregation when ministry leadership uh, forgets to focus on the fact that we are surrounded by the presence of the Lord. Our strength comes from the presence of the Lord, and we so often have forgotten that God is with us. We try to do the impossible by our own power. We try to do everything by our own endurance. We begin to believe that we have all the answers and then we begin to believe that we are the answer. And we forget that every good thing that there is is the work of greater hands than ours. I can tell you this, when I forget about the presence of God, then inevitably I fall into the trap of feeling like I have to be the best I have to be the biggest. I have to be the baddest. I have to have all the answers. And inevitably, I fail. I get tricked. I trick myself into believing all those things. All when I forget about the presence of God. But when I remember that God is present, I remember that the Lord is bigger than all my challenges. And those challenges start to look smaller. As my friend Pete Johnson, our church planter at Christ of the Hills in Bernie has said, when your God is too small, your problems get too big. And when your God is big, your challenges seem smaller. Beloved, I have no idea what challenges or opportunities are coming for us in the next few years. I mean, really, nobody expected COVID. Nobody expected a war in Europe. No one expected a recession. But at the same time, no one expected Roe versus Wade to be overturned either. How is God working in the world? I don't know what to expect, but the one thing I do expect 
is that no matter what happens in the church, in our personal lives, the Lord is with us because Jesus said, behold, I am with you even until the end of the age. Now, as we begin to close things out here, I want, I want, to, I want to focus on that word behold for a moment because we don't pay enough attention to that word. Jesus is saying that the beginning of our witness is to behold. That's the beginning of our disciple making. It's when we behold. It's not about doing something. It's about beholding something. What is it that we, be, we behold? We behold that our God is the God who wanted to prove that he understands us. And so he got down here in the mud and the blood and the sweat and the tears and the mess with us to prove that he gets our lives, to prove that he understands us. This is the God who wanted to prove that he loved us by giving his life in place of ours, by dying a death we could never endure so that we could live a life that, we, that he created us to have. And this is the God who wanted to prove that he has the power to make a difference in our lives, so he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And if he can do that, if death no longer has a sting, then what power does the grave have either over our bodies or over our hearts and minds? We don't need to fear those little deaths that kill us every day and imprison us because he is stronger. Jesus says, if we would behold that and be in that presence, we would understand the power and the God that is backing us as we move forward together. But I also want you to think about this. And again, I'm sorry for those of you who've already heard this. I want to use a pun here. I want you to think about this word, behold. And whenever you think that God has asked too much of you, I want you to remember that God beholding you. Wait for it a second. It'll get there. That God is holding you. Our God has not turned us over to this mission, to this world, to any endeavor without his presence. We all remember that we are called not only to make disciples, but that we are disciples who are still being discipled. We are students who are still being taught. We are learners who are still learning. But God is holding us in the palm of his hand. He doesn't want to send you off into this new thing Without that assurance. I, I told the earlier service, and I was kind of embarrassed, but I'm going to say it again. My son's about to be a freshman at the University of Texas. We're moving him in in a couple of weeks. I've been a weepy mess for the last couple of, couple of weeks. Morgan told me yesterday, he said, you sure are getting sentimental about this. I mean, I, 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 mean, I keep thinking about, well, this is the last time I'll do this with him. My little buddy's going, all these sorts of things. And I went through all this with my daughter. It should, this, is all, this, is all, this shouldn't be totally new ground to me. But the thing that I want him to understand is that when he goes off, when he starts college, he's not going alone. Yes, he will be in this new endeavor, but he is still held in the love of his father. And I don't mean me. Of course, I love him. Of course, I'm proud of him. But he is held in the love of a father whose, whose love has no limits, whose love has no distance, whose love will never fail or let him down. I want him 
Not only to know that he is held in the love of God, but that he should continue to felt that he is held. And so the thing I would say is that as we hear Jesus say, behold what God has done, I want you to remember to be held in his hand, be held in his grace, be held in his arms. Our mission, beloved, is to remember that, that we are held in his love and remind others of that very same thing. You know, one of the reasons that we come together around this table is because Jesus wanted to remind us that he is holding us in the palm of his hand. But he knows that when we cannot see him, we need something more tangible, something more visible to remind us that we are held in the grasp of the Father. And so our Lord, before his crucifixion, got together with his disciples in the upper room and he took real bread and he took a real cup and he said, my love for you is as, love, is as real as this bread and this cup. My death, my body broken, my blood poured out is as real as this blood as this bread and this cup. But my love for you from age upon age is as real as this holy meal that you will eat together. We tend to think of this perhaps as just something of a, of a symbol. But it is a sign that impresses upon us the reality that our real God, our real Jesus, gave his real blood and his real body in a real death so that we would remember his real love. And so when we take this bread and we take this cup and we feel them and we taste them, the reality of that feel, that touch, that taste, taste and see that the Lord of good is a reminder that God is with us and that he has said, behold, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you even until the end of the age. And that's why Jesus said, Whenever you come together around my table, remember and do this in remembrance of me. Our mission is to bring other people to this table and to remind them that he has given his life for them, that he became one of us for them, that he was raised from the dead for them. And so our task, our mission is to share our identity with others who have forgotten that God made and loves them. Our mission is to draw people into this, the joyful feast of the people of God, this homecoming where we know that we are held by our God. And so we come to this table not because we're worthy but because we are invited. And we come to this table not because there is something that we must do to earn his love, but to see what he has done for us. And so all those who trust in Jesus Christ with their lives, who have committed themselves to him as his disciples, who have been baptized in his name, this table is here as a reminder that you are held in the firm grip 
of your heavenly Father. Let's pray together. As we, as we come together around this table, we celebrate your steadfast love that endures forever. We are thankful that while we, are, while we were still sinning, you demonstrated your love for us by sending your Son and our Savior to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We pray for your continued guidance and direction as we anticipate a new season with new officers and new worship schedules and renewed Sunday school activities. Empower us through your Holy Spirit to be faithful to your calling in our lives. Thank you for our relationship with the church in Mexico and the students who are visiting with us this week. We lift them up to you as they seek your direction for their lives and their ministries. We mourn with those who mourn, lifting them up to experience your peace that passes all understanding. Nurture their loss with the hope that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray for your healing in the lives of those who are sick. Guide their caregivers, professional and family. Give them your grace to look to you each day. And as we break bread together this morning, break our hearts with what breaks yours. Empower us to be disciple makers. Give us opportunities to teach and preach the gospel. Use this time to remind us of your daily provision for us. We pray for the Holy Spirit to be present in our lives in these moments. Nourish us in our spiritual being. Draw us close to you and to each other. Bless this bread and this cup and this time of communion with you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take each of you and do this to remember me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this to remember me. Friends, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And friends, he is coming again. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come. For the table is ready, and he is calling you.